and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Blue and yellow, till we die. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sansbury. And here's... Cal Corcoran. So, we have a guest this evening, our, our, our friendly red, who comes to join the boys of the blue and yellow. So, Cal Corkery, newly elected councillor for Charles Dickens' ward. And uh, how have you found the first couple of months with the, uh, the official hat on then, Cal? Nice and busy. Uh, it mainly seems to be about trying to find out who people are and how things work. So there's been a lot of induction and training sessions and being passed around from person to person to find out whose responsibility particular issues are. But I'm slowly getting there. Got quite a bit of casework lined up already, um, which is good because that's what I'm particularly keen at trying to support people with, a lot of housing and benefit related stuff, which relates to my background. And I think that's where, and we discussed this I think with Dave Ashmore, which is that so much of the work of the local councillor is unseen, unpublished and unpublishable. That's where a lot of your time seems to be spent. Yeah, exactly. And especially these days with all the cuts to local services, I think councillors quite often find themselves kind of having to pick up bits and pieces and try and signpost people to where those services still exist or find out where the gaps are and try and get them filled in. So that leads us nicely to your, is it a maiden speech or inaugural bill? But there's a, you, you put forward a, a bill on landlord licensing in Portsmouth that you were hoping to bring to the council chambers. But um, we'll dig into that a little bit more. I think you were there to spectate for the, uh, you had bought a ticket for the debate, hadn't you, Simon? Well, yeah, you didn't have to pay. But yes, I, I was there. I was I was there for the I was there until the bitter end and people asked me why. <laughs> I would ask you why. <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, um yeah, so the councillors were like you why did you stay? We had to. What why did you? Um, were you the crowd? Uh, no, uh, well, at the end I th- I think I was one of two or three people left to be fair, but through the afternoon there I mean there were there was a, there was a spattering of people there. It it was it was well attended. Um, but I don't think the gallery was packed by any means. I think there was probably no more than 10 people there. But as time went on, mm. people got on with other things. So it was a good six hours plus, I think, wasn't it, by the end? Yeah, I got out of there about eight o'clock. Mm. So, um, <laughs> yes. Um, so it was it was quite an eventful thing. So as, as, a, as a spectator, not so much a spectator sport, so it was, it was an interesting example to watch because there was some, and this is what we, we, we'd come to talk to, is that there was some interesting stuff around the motion that you were proposing and there was some interesting um, interesting conversations about other things. There were some other things that, to be honest, I don't think showed, showed some people in really good lights about the valid use of questions and about how, how effective they can be about trying to actually inquire over the administration, but they seemed to be unfortunately being used by some people to basically just direct their ire at a particular person rather than actually come up with answers that mm. would help people. Um, so, so before we dig into all mm. that shenanigonery, yes, great word, shenanigonery, shenanigonery, use it more often. It sounds like a disease. No, it's not. No, you can get tablets for some of those things. We'll discuss later. Uh, but anyway, so Cal, give us the outline. So what what is it you're uh, what is it you're proposing, and what do you hope to achieve? So the motion that we put forward was the kind of end result of quite a long process of us over the last couple of years going out and speaking to people in communities, particularly in communities where there's a high percentage of rented properties, 
and finding out kind of where the issues are and where the gaps are. And I think a big problem that we found is that, so you've got houses of multiple occupancy, shared houses where there's five or more unrelated people in a house. In Portsmouth, all of those are required to be licensed by the council. Yeah. Um, so the council does checks on who the landlord is. They have to be a fit and proper person. If they're not, if they're inappropriate to be um, a landlord because of their background or criminal convictions or anything like that, then the council can prevent them from having a licence or withdraw their licence. Um, it also places requirements on the landlords to provide regular evidence to the council. I think it's predominantly yearly that the basics have been done so that there's um, kind of fire alarms in place, so fire risk assessments, gas checks, all that kind of stuff. That a lot of it is legal responsibility of the landlord anyway. But if these licences aren't in place, then they're not really regulated and there's no way for the council to routinely check that they're in place. So at this point, that only applies to the, the beauty that's HMO or houses of yeah, multiple Yeah, only, only, well, only large HMOs. Um, so Portsmouth has got the kind of statutory minimum, which is that HMOs where there's five or more unrelated people have required to be licensed. Other places have gone further in applying it to all HMOs. So HMOs where there's maybe three or four unrelated people, but also then all all just normal private residential um, properties that are rented out in particular areas. So rather than just being shared houses, it's also including kind of small flats and family properties as well. And that's what we were proposing in Portsmouth to the council, just to kind of report into the feasibility of extending this kind of scheme. So your initial proposal was to look at this really to just understand the feasibility and I guess presumably the cost. Yeah, exactly. So that, that was the, the kind of resolution at the end of our motion was to ask officers to go away and produce a report into the feasibility of, a mo of this kind of scheme being implemented. So obviously one of those the uh, kind of products of that could have been that they come back and say, well, we've looked at it. We've looked at the conditions and the costs and all that sort of thing. And it's not appropriate for Portsmouth. Um, but we were just asking for that background work to be done. So I guess ultimately the thrust, if I understand it correctly, is that is that this licensing approach is designed to stop your rogue landlords who are student farming at the moment, you know, cramming or low-paid workers cramming lots of different people into a house, charging hundred pound a week for a room, and you know, effectively raking in two grand a month for an overcrowded house with inappropriate facilities is that that that's the kind of that's the demographic you're targeting well partially yeah i mean i guess the hmos with their students or otherwise at the moment are licensed um but again we only, only if you register them yeah only if you register them but there, there are quite hefty penalties on unregulated hmos um that the councils are starting to enforce so yeah what we're proposing really is that kind of level of licensing and regulation to be extended to the whole of the private rented sector rather than it just being these large HMOs. Sounds, if I was a landlord of a, you know, one extra property, I think I'd probably be not wildly keen. If I'm a good landlord, then I guess all this does is brings cost into my equation. Well, I think a lot of the good landlords are actually kind of embarrassed or feel let down by the fact that there are these rogue landlords in the market because essentially it gives all landlords a bad name when these one or two or a handful of rogue landlords are exploiting people and ripping people off and evicting people for no reason. So what we want to do by kind of raising standards is force those rogue landlords out of the market. So if I was a good landlord or if I was speaking to a good landlord, I'd say that they've got nothing to worry about 
actually we're trying to kind of support them um, by forcing their less scrupulous peers out of the market. Yeah, I think I think the because I, I listened to um, I listened to the depositions from there was a couple of depositions from I can hear the cat sorry <laughs> that wasn't a deposition that was a complaint from one of your tenants <laughs> um, well which, then, you're, which you're ignoring well they're not paying any rent he, so they can fuck he, off he, <laughs> he could be the guy you're targeting <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so, so the depositions were, were quite interesting. There were there were a couple of um, different uh, people from landlords associations, wasn't there? One of them. So there were there were the the, the, the concerns that they were raising were about um, whether whether the scheme would deal with sorry the cat. Which one is it? Where's the cat? Twilight. Black and white. Why are you being? Why are you? Why are you bothering to? Hang on, I'm just going to pause for a second. Stopped moaning about stuff that it doesn't need to moan about. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah. So the depositions were, were quite interesting from the point of view of we had um, representations from um, we had representations from tenants, but we had representations from a couple of landlord organisations. And I think the the thing that the the landlord organisations seem to be united in in the concept that something needs to be done about rogue landlords. I think what they the point that they were trying to make was that they seemed to feel that this measure wasn't wasn't going to basically was going to was going to be an impact for them i mean obviously they're coming at it from a from a different kind of angle um, so I, so but then again doesn't anybody say that about any form of regulation yeah. Yeah. well I, yeah i can't imagine any form of yeah like you say any form of increased regulation of private the private rental mm. market that the local landlord lobby is going to come out in support of if i'm honest so does what powers does Portsmouth have at the moment? So if I am a tenant and I am living in a squalid, rat-infested stink hole, I've complained to my landlord and my landlord said, you shut your noise, son, because I can have you on the street like that. What, what as a tenant and working with the, my local council, where do I stand at the moment? If it's your ward, I can come and see you, but obviously I'm frightened I'm going to get evicted. What, what are... Does the council have any teeth with its current powers? It has some teeth. It has a private housing um, sector team who deal with these kind of issues. They're very much reliant on reports being made to them. Yeah. Um, so if yeah, if in that circumstance the tenant says, look, I'm going to go to the council and raise the issue, the council then can require the landlord to um, make improvements to the property, make any repairs that are necessary, etc. But at the moment obviously we've still got section 21 evictions these yep. so-called no-fault evictions and while it has been made illegal for someone to be evicted for a revenge eviction for reporting repairs that need to be done going to the council and the landlord then evicting them i think in practice it would be so difficult to prove uh, that that was the case and it's only once it gets to a certain point in the council process i think once the council has issued a formal kind of enforcement notice um, on the landlord, it's only then that there's any kind of legal protection around the tenant, although I'm sure that could still be sidestepped. So we're still waiting, obviously, to see what the replacement of Section 21 is going to be, because um, Tories have said that they are going to replace it. I think what's likely to happen, because they've said that there's still going to be exceptions, there's going to be good reason for evicting people, 
So I would not be surprised if those good reasons are so broad that in reality very little changes. Yeah, it's it's, it's two sides of the coin, isn't it? You know, there is that element where, you know, I I'm, I'm not a I'm not a landlord myself, but I have friends who, who are who've had their properties basically destroyed by tenants, and you know their their ability to sort of legal recourse afterwards is the tenant's gone. It's a case of you know, get the get the clean up crew in, and and you have to wear that loss. So, I guess it's always that balance between tenant and landlord, and it's it, I, I guess it's just trying to keep that a fair and reasonable balance. Um, and where does the where does that pivot point sit at the moment? Mm. Going back to the deputations that were made, mm. both the landlord representatives, I believe, were there representing or as part of the Portsmouth District Landlords Association who are, by all accounts, quite a well-organised... They're basically a trade union for landlords, mm-hmm. right? They get members to sign up and then they represent their collective interests. Um, so they were running a campaign amongst their membership against this motion. So they wrote out to all their members saying, here's some uh, model text. We suggest you contact councillors in, either in the ward you live in or the wards that you've got property in. Um, and quite a few of those emails did then come through. Some of them had some quite amusing... Um, additions. One of them was uh, in capital letters at the top of the email. If this motion passes, or, or until this motion is ruled out, I will not be investing in any more buy-to-let properties in Portsmouth. <laughs> Which so, so my reaction to that is good. good. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see that's that, that's about the worst threat that anybody's ever made to you, isn't it? Yeah. Is that uh, so? It's you might stop inflating property prices and give my generation a chance to get on the property ladder. <laughs> so, so it's an interesting one to because across because the, there's several different things happening, isn't it? Is that like you say that like you've hinted to there? There's there's people that will snap up properties in order to use them to rent out. So people will buy or they use buy to let or they will use other schemes to to be able to then rent out those properties. Some of some of those private landlords don't uh, don't accept tenancies from people that are on. Uh, benefits they'll, only, they'll, they'll be quite selective about the t- about the sorts of people that they can actually have mm-hmm. um, and at the same time um, if there's ever that demand then ever increasingly if if um, is it the case that what's so when I when I was in the house I mean, in the in the rental sector so prior to prior to buying my current home I, I, I rented for for several years um, and I was lucky enough to be honest that I found at that point that when when the tenancy came up for renewal, um, the the price I can't remember the price ever actually going up. I can't remember there actually being a, if there was it was you know normally funny ten twenty quid or something kind of you know not not really that much of an issue. But is 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 that no longer the case? Is it is it the case now quite often where actually at the end of every tenancy the the, the landlords are putting up the prices and the tenancy periods are quite short. Mm-hmm. So we're now allowing them to do that is that is that the sort of thing that's being driven up by the market demand? Is yeah, I mean r- rents are completely unregulated. Mm-hmm. Landlords at the moment can charge well, they'll charge what they deem to be the market price, mm-hmm. which is the maximum anyone's willing to pay essentially. And there's then no kind of restrictions on them, like you say, when the contract comes up for renewal, yeah. which typically is every six months, mm-hmm. or almost routinely. I've hardly seen any longer term contracts than that. But it's quite typical then for yeah, that it's be increased. And increased again, and if people won't pay, then they'll be out, and they'll get in another tenant. And because there's a kind of lack of housing in Portsmouth anyway, and quite a high level of demand, they always know there's going to be someone lining up to snap that property up. Yeah, and it is about the most lucrative form of investment that you can get at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that element of you know, if you have got money, 
there, there is nothing out there that will give you a return like owning a rental property. Your, your proposal was to, to get this looked into, to look at the dimensions of the problem, the potential cost, and it was your chance to shine the bright lights of Portsmouth City Council Chamber. I've never been in there. I don't know whether the lights are bright. Are they particularly bright? Um, Quite dingy, to be fair. Yeah, it's, it, 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 it's kind of like, not to be fair that I've been in a courtroom, but it, it's kind of like the mm. cross between a, it seems to be the cross between a school hall and a courtroom. Oh. Um, which are probably actually a similar kind of... Has it got that strange <laughs> smell? Uh, no, Does it I'm, smell funny? I've not really noticed. No, there's not really kind of like a smell. I do find that the gallery is really weird, that as you kind of walk down the steps, the, the where the barrier is, it's... I, I feel terribly insecure. I'm quite a tall person. So I feel that I'm I'm like one step away from ending up in... Stage it, stage diving into the council st- chamber. St- yeah, but I'm, I'm like one step away from actually ending up in the lap of one of the Tory councillors. Yeah. Um, which I'm sure they wouldn't appreciate, and I'm done so I'm sure I wouldn't. It's not a place you want to be, is it? Not really. It's I not, do, I do, it's, I do. It's not my I'm your private dancer. <laughs> dance for money. I've got it. No, completely no. Tina yeah, you've, you've really taken that Ooh. off. Your so, so trying to, to. So effectively, what your motion was saying is. I'm still, hey, I'm still troubled with you as Tina Turner. I'm going to well, need a minute to compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what well, Ian gathers his thoughts. <laughs> What your motion does is effectively say, hey, look, there's an issue here. We need to look to see whether these these um, these suggestions will actually help that issue. Is, yeah. is that effectively yeah, yeah. what it's doing? So, exactly so, it so, your, so your motion isn't saying we must do X solution, we must do this. It's saying, hey, we think there's an issue. Well, we know there's an issue. This is These are some potential solutions we should go look at and see what would work. Yeah, because this is something that is being done in more and more other local authorities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we live in, well, we, local authorities are kind of acting within quite a restrictive national policy framework uh, in terms of reducing budgets, but mm. also in terms of the powers they have to actually intervene in the local property market, local mm. rental market. Uh, so, for example, we were talking about rents. Local authorities have no power to limit rents or cap rents or anything like that. Um, but landlord licensing, this is one of the few things they can do mm. to intervene in the market. And in other places, it has had quite a significant effect. And we've heard quite a lot of positive stories from other local authorities where it has been implemented. So our argument really was, well, firstly, a question, why hasn't it been looked into here? And secondly, we're just suggesting that it should be, and a report's brought back. If that report comes back and says, actually, no, it's not feasible, or for X, Y, or Z reason... Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't look at it, then fair enough. But at least ask those questions. We've investigated it thoroughly. So tenants might be actually quite unwilling to raise issues with their landlords for for fear of actually how the landlord's going to respond. So if anything, actually catching these these poor quality landlords is actually reliant on the council carrying out checks to actually find them. Mm-hmm. Which and at the moment they don't do to yeah. all rented properties, right. but that's what a licence scheme brings in. Okay. It brings in regular checks and a relationship and an understanding of where these rented properties are and who the landlords are. Yeah. So I think it was the Mayor of Newham, because uh, Newham have implemented a borough-wide selective licensing scheme there, in a report I was reading, he described it as giving the council the power to get behind front doors mm-hmm. that previously they never did. So there was lots of rented properties that they knew nothing about. They didn't know who the landlord was, who the tenant was, what the conditions were like inside. Mm-hmm. Uh, but licensing gives them a better understanding and mm-hmm. an ability to kind of intervene when necessary. So it gives them that ability to investigate and enforce. 
yeah. that, that they currently don't have. Mm -hmm. See, to, to my, again, this might be just me being naive, right? But if you think about food hygiene standards, but you've clearly actually got a scheme there that says whether whether a food outlet is a one to five scheme. If we've got that where somewhere you somewhere you can eat, and you actually have a more of a choice, if you if you want to go and eat somewhere in a restaurant, you've got an easy choice to go to another restaurant. It's not like you're obliged to actually stay there for six months mm -hmm. or for or for twelve months. But so it's not you know there's nothing similar that allows you to say this is a really high quality landlord. This is a no. not so high quality landlord. There's nothing like that. No, exactly. so that's a good comparison to use uh, because the. The important thing about these food hygiene ratings is that it's mandatory. Yeah. All takeaways or restaurants have to have an inspection and a food hygiene rating. At the moment, Portsmouth City Council has a landlord accreditation scheme mm -hmm. uh, where it will do checks on people and kind of look at their properties. And if they pass the checks, then they get put on this list of the good landlords. Mm -hmm. But it's voluntary. So the good landlords, yeah, go on it. But the dodgy ones, the ones that oh, we yeah. actually want to know about and take enforcement action against, just wouldn't volunteer for it. So this is what selective licensing is mm -hmm. mandatory for all landlords. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give those banned landlords the opportunity to opt out. To me, it kind of seems like there's obviously loads of good landlords out there that quite understandably they're providing a need and they're providing it well, but they're being tarred with the same brush of these awful landlords that are abusing the situation, abusing the vulnerability of people. Um, and surely it's right that something's done about that. Those people aren't going to voluntarily say, hi, I'm a shit landlord, come around and look at my property. But that's where you've got a three-tier system, though, don't you, Simon? So, and this is this has been my, my uh, nervousness around the systems. Even if you bring in mandatory licensing, mm. you're a good landlord, you volunteer anyway. I'm a bad landlord. Well, let's say Cal's a bad landlord. But he's going to, com <laughs> he's going to comply. So he will comply with the, with the new licensing system. Mm. I'm a terrible landlord. I'm not going to comply. I'm going to hide until you catch up with me. And that that is always the that's the, always the risk when you bring in a a system of registration is that the worst of your offenders will try and evade it for as long as they possibly can. But we do that we do the same with food licensing and we do the same with alcohol licensing, don't we? We do, but there's an element of if you walk down the street where you live you can't walk past the 200 houses before you get here and go privately owned privately owned privately owned rented rented privately owned whereas if i am stood there and it says kebab house on the door you know that that one needs an inspection so i think that's where the that's where i think the and again all of this would be picked up as part of the report that hmm. that um that was requested in terms of you know, what is the scale of the problem? You know, and I think that's the question you and I discussed online, Cal, which is that, you know, if it's ten percent of landlords, we've got a problem. If it's five percent, we've probably still got a problem. If it's one percent, yeah. If it's point zero zero one percent, well, it's it seems like a lot of effort to put every landlord through the machine to to try and catch the point zero whatever percent. Who probably won't step forward and register for the scheme anyway. But but I guess that's why you, because if I've understood you, uh, if I've understood what you what you've said correctly, that that's why you investigate to discover what the magnitude of the issue is. Correct. And suggest what the possible solutions are. So to me, that kind of if yeah, yeah. So it, so yeah. But we, that's you know that's scary. That sounds like we've got agreement. We, we've all consensus. agreed. We've all agreed. <laughs> 
And again, so 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 once again, in a spirit of warmth and cohesion, so you have strode manfully or womanfully, but manfully in this case, towards the council chamber. But before you got your chance to shine, there were questions and rumblings went on in terms of who could stand in the chamber with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened? So yeah, that's right. The council's code of conduct talks about different types of conflicts of interest. Um, because obviously conflicts of interest are always going to come up um, with councillors and debating different topics. This is something kind of we'd foreseen, particularly around the quite significant number of councillors who are landlords. Um, we foresaw that and thought, yeah, well, it's quite clear that they've got a financial interest in a landlord licensing scheme being um, implemented or not. So our expectation was that councillors that were landlords would be advised that they couldn't speak in a debate with the Lever Chamber and all the rest of it. Now, I'm going to ask the question. Had your research highlighted the proportions of blue, yellow and red councillors that might be excluded? Well, you can find it out on the council website. Everyone, Each council has yep. got listed a register of interest and it lists um, which property or any properties they've got an interest in. So it's quite easy to go and have a little look. And yeah, I think you... Does that mean our, our, our listeners may find some interesting <laughs> results there? Sounds like there's some some um, some digging to do. Interestingly enough, I went to a uh, I went to a um, a workshop that was held by another friend of the podcast recently that talked about how to investigate and find out things mm-hmm. and to, and to investigate and document links between parties. So I I'm, I might flex those muscles. I think you should. Was that under the guidance of the Great Inquisitor? It was indeed. The oh, Inquisitor himself. Jerry the Inquisitor Brown. Yeah. Marvellous. We, we had to obscure his visage so that nobody in the room could identify could, could him. Under, could know who he yeah, was. Yeah. So you expected the landlords to be thrown out, get out, get out, you have vested yep. interests, but it went further than that. Yeah, it? it did. So the legal advice that was given um, kind of at the end of the week before the council meeting, so only a few working days before, was that actually the city solicitor had kind of considered the case and in his judgment or his interpretation of the code of conduct this also then extended to anyone that was a private renter and the code of conduct makes a distinction essentially between people that have got interests just general interests in a topic and then people that have got financial interests um, so people with financial interests in a topic that's going to be discussed then quite rightfully they're not allowed to discuss it but people that have just got an interest in it, but it's not necessarily financial, then usually they're required to declare their interest, but can continue to participate in the debate. So the advice that was then given was that renters, private renters, actually have a financial interest in whether a licensing scheme is implemented. Well, I can... Which a direct mm. financial interest, which we found a little bit questionable. Direct might be strong, but go on, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play hypothetically that... If if the scheme is investigated and approved and all landlords are required to comply, there must be a cost element to that in terms of registering. Uh, somebody's got to pay for the service. Mm-hmm. So if I am a private renter, if I was to look at that, I could say, oh, I know what Cal's doing, I know what he's aiming for, but well, my, my, my rent's going to go up, I don't fancy that. But it's quite hypothetical and indirect, yeah, well, isn't it's, it? It's not. I wouldn't. I'd said it wasn't direct, but I. I 
So, but so, the, the, surely the issue of conflict of interest has to be direct because if you take it an indirect definition, then you could any possible topic you could say, well, degrees of separation. You're yeah. absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So, so does this mean when we're discussing parking zones, anyone with a car can't vote? Exactly. Well, I think one of the things in the code of conduct is that if it affects the majority of people in your ward, then you're not conflicted. I mean, I don't know what the proportion of home owner occupied to rented properties is in each ward. But surely there's a va- there's a vast number of rented properties in any ward. Mm-hmm. So some of them are about forty percent rented. Yeah, right. yeah. So so I, I must admit I personally I didn't quite get the logic of um, tenants being excluded from the de- people who are private tenants being excluded from the debate because if anything it would disadvantage them to agree to the scheme financially. But it would advantage them from a quality of living point point of view. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, it, it, it probably kind of narrows it, you know, cancels itself out. From point of view of private landlords, then there's, there's a to me there's a clear direct line of sight to an interest of it's going to be something that's going to cost them. Well, indeed, you say that, but at the start of the podcast, you know, I'm a good landlord. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 the sales pitch to me was that it would positively reinforce my status as a good landlord to be on the to be on the PCC register with my five-star landlord renter accreditation, but that would we, enhance my business. That would make my properties more splendid in their nature, and I could charge a little bit of a cheeky premium for that. So well, I think it's a double-edged sword. If you say it could disadvantage or advantage a tenant, it could also advantage disadvantage a landlord. But to your point, Cal, from a financial perspective, it, it, I am... I agree, are much more directly impacted than the ten. Hmm. I think a lot of people found the interpretation that was given a surprise in kind of councillors across the board yeah, and across see party. That reactions. Yeah, uh, so, so it was frustrating then because obviously the reason that the motion was then withdrawn essentially. Oh, we'll come on to that. Yeah, I don't have to use the sound effect. No, this is marvellous. Right, and so we're back, and uh, we had got to the point where the city solicitor had ruled that most people would leave the chamber, but Simon is still sat there in the gallery, avidly awaiting the arrangements. But I believe the ruling affected you directly, Cal, in terms of the lad who was lined up as your seconder. Exactly, yeah. So Tom um, was due to be second in the motion. He's a private renter himself. Um, so again, this wasn't something we kind of foresaw. It got sprung on us at quite a late moment. So we did come up with a plan of how to try and circumvent this, um, especially given kind of councillors from across the board um, has approached us and said actually they disagreed with this ruling and they thought that the code of conduct was being interpreted too widely and that actually if this precedent is allowed, then future issues, surely someone's going to have an interest in some way. Yep. Um, so it sets a bit of a dangerous precedent potentially. So what we did is that we proposed uh, the kind of technical word in this to suspend standing orders, but what that would have allowed essentially is us to change the seconder of the motion, uh, change it to one of the other Labour councillors who's a homeowner, that would then allow it to be put to the meeting and discussed. So this this could get this could get murky. So the proposal is so you need a seconder. Yeah. Your seconder has been ordered from the field of play. Mm-hmm. 
why can't you just sub in another chap who's prepared to stand up? And I use chap in a gender-specific way, mm-hmm. gender-neutral way, that can stand up and say, I believe in this motion, I second Cal Corporate. Yeah. So that's effectively what we try to do. But the kind of mechanism for allowing us to do that is that we need to suspend standing orders, which is the kind of part of the constitution that says how council meetings should be run. Right. So you've it's written down, Cal seconded by Tom. Yep. And Tom's no longer in the building, so you've gone for a technical solution that says, can we just forget we ever wrote Tom on the piece of paper and Sue will now step forward to become Tom? Pretty much, yeah. And is there, I mean, because that conversation, you, we, what, what transpired was you tried to try to do that in the chamber. Is there not an opportunity to do that, to have done that beforehand? Could you not have... I think the way it the, works is that, that once the the meeting papers are published, mm-hmm. so about a week before, yeah. which they were published before the issue was brought up, um, then mm. then that's kind of set in stone, I guess. Mm. Do you know what I mean? That this is the motion that will be debated. This is mm. the proposal. This is the seconder. And I kind of get that because there's an element of you shouldn't be able to walk in and go, surprise, it's not quite what you thought it was mm. in terms of if you change the motion, but it would seem to the outsider... You, you never realised your lad was going to get the red card and have to tell his story walking as he left the chamber. Exactly, yeah. And it wasn't, I don't think, a kind of reasonable assumption for us to be able to make. Like I said, we did think through potential conflicts of interest mm-hmm. um, and we thought the landlord issue was likely to spring up. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't even occur to us or anyone, I don't think, apart from the city solicitor, apparently, um, that private tenants would be kind of included within that definition. There will be a certain section of the community that might be going on about unelected bureaucrats. Oh, stop it. Stop it. I know where you're going, and you shouldn't. Just leave it alone. Take a, take a nice big swig of your Johnny Foreigner Italian beer and calm down. But it was, it was, it was, quite, a, it was quite a chaotic situation, wasn't it? Because not only were, because like you, said, like you were saying, there were was, there was so many people that had to leave the chamber that not only pretty much did more than half the chamber have to have to leave the chamber, but the Lord Mayor had to leave the chamber. Mm-hmm. So what then happened was that um, the remaining councillors, what was left of them, don't get excited about the word remaining. No. Um, the councillors that were left in the chamber then had to propose and elect a chair to chair them because the Lord Mayor um, acts as the chair of the meeting. Right. Which he can't, because he's, he's now been shown to red as well. Because he's been shown to um, have, a, have an interest. And so, usually the Deputy Lord Mayor would yes. step in, but then the Deputy Lord Mayor was a tenant, so also had to leave the meeting. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, so the Lord Mayor and the Deputy Lord Mayor both had, both had to leave the chamber, and the Lord Mayor, act, effectively in, in the, the council chamber, the, the Lord Mayor acts like the Speaker does in Parliament yeah. to chair the meeting. Is he particularly small? No. Right. No. Um, and he, doesn't, he also doesn't quote loads of Latin ad infinitum. So, um, nice. see what I did there? I did. Um, Reese Mogg would be proud. I just put a couple of extra commas in just yeah, to piss him off. Um, so, yeah, so that was a bit chaotic. So, for anybody observing from the outside, that wasn't really democracy's finest hour of, oh shit, actually, we've got no one to actually run the meet. What do we do now? What do we do? What's the thing? Who do we do this? We can't do this person because this person now got. We can't do this person because this person now got. So then, basically, they they um, they proposed and um, selected some uh, one of the one of the Tory councillors to stand as chair for for that discussion. Right. So and we- then basically the discussion moved on to not even getting close to discussing a motion in hand. 
So we're actually discussing whether or not they could suspend the standing orders that Cal was talking about that basically were are the operating procedures of the council that would have allowed Cal to have said the second it isn't going to be Tom, it's going to be Stephen or whoever. It was a debate about whether to have a debate. Yeah, it, yeah, it was so, really. So we've got we've got a new leader. So who's now sat in the big chair? So oh god, I can't. Frank remember. Jonas. Yeah, Jonas. Frank, so Frank it. Jonas was he one of the Jonas brothers? I no, know. I think he was an uncle. <laughs> I don't. Know. I'm not you? getting the reference. Oh, didn't Jonas brothers? Weren't they? Didn't they do mm, Bob? Okay, there is. You're talking about the Swedish. Um, no, they were American. Yeah. But anyway, move on. We're, we've established Frank Jonas wasn't one of the Jonas Desperately brothers. trying to make musical hit, musical well, connections. Yeah, sometimes the, the spirit moves me. So we've got Frank Jonas is now sat in the chair, and so you've you've thrown on the table. Can we, can we just forget the the protocol that Tom was seconder because he's now not here, and you have put forward George Fielding. George Fielding. And so has there been a jolly good debate at that point? There were some comments made. Technically, you're not supposed to have a debate about it. You're just meant to move to the vote. But a couple of people made comments about whether or not they thought this was a good idea. Then it then moved to the vote. And I think, so there must have been 17 councillors left that were eligible to vote on it. Uh, yeah, it was 9-8. Yeah, it? yeah. So, so then, yeah, the vote was 9-8 against, against allowing us to change the seconder. So it fell just. Ooh. So all the Tories voted against. Um, most of the Lib Dems voted with us to hear it, but I think one or two voted against, which is what swung it, and Darren Sanders abstained. And Darren Sanders, isn't he the housing member? He is the cabinet member for housing, yeah. Oh, and how oh, I find this funny. So your private tenants have got a vested interest, yeah. And I suppose if he was the housing man, he'd be sat. But then I guess it would have been nine all, it would have gone to... Frankie Jonah Jonas, who might have... Well, I can't say what he would have done. But you're right, though. Procedurally, if it had been a tie, then the, then the chair, whoever that, whether that's the Lord Mayor or not, has the casting vote. So that's right, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, did Frank, so did Frank get to cast his stone no. in the vote? No, because no. he's now chair. He's got to sit there and look. Yes. Right. So he, he doesn't get to vote unless... So that whoever's in, he's basically sitting in the chair, whoever's the chair, doesn't get to vote unless they're required to cast a casting vote. Is that right? Yeah. Right. Beautiful. So 9-8, you've gone down. No, you can't sub in George for Tom. The sad hog music plays and you leave the chamber. Is that how it ends? Well, we didn't quite get to leave the chamber. No, I think we're still... Because no, we, another we three went, hours, yeah, didn't we? we? we went, so so some, of the, some of the points that were made, actually, and... and like I've said before, I don't think it was necessarily the, the finest hour of, of local democracy from the point of view of the, the ruling that, to be fair, most people kind of question from a kind of common sense point of view, but nonetheless, we're not lawyers. Um, but at the end of the day, it kind of seems strange, a, a strange ruling. The other thing was that the depositions all took place at the start of the session, so not actually immediately before that issue on the agenda. Mm -hmm. The, the people that were making depositions on whatever issue on the agenda they were making depositions of, they made theirs right at the beginning of, of, of the order, basically. Um, so those people would have, you know, taken time out of their day, taken, you know, taken time out of, you know, looking after the kids or from their business or from work or whatever it was they were doing to come and make that deposition in front of the full chamber to then actually, three, four hours later, 
here that here that actually it, it was for now. It never happened because because the actual issue itself was wasn't debated. So in that respect, and I think this was this was something that, that one of the councillors actually raised was like we've had a situation where we've invited the public in to make depositions to full council and the issue hasn't been debated. That's that's not really fair on them. We have them kind of waiting around to, to, to issue those depositions and then to, then to wait for the results. So it, it, it just seemed a bit... Shabby. Yeah, I mean, other, other words can kind of come up. So what's the, what's the next step then? What, happen, what happens now? Do you, do you raise it again next month on the next full council meeting? Or? Yeah, so the next full council meeting isn't until October. Um, but we are likely to resubmit it. I think there'll be some kind of discussion in the meantime. I know that um, Darren Sanders did make a point at the meeting that actually this is something they would think about doing anyway, um, which was an interesting line. So we did ask the question, okay, that's fair enough. So when when did you come up with this idea to start thinking about it? Um, and he said... Quite straight-faced, but presumably it was tongue-in-cheek, I don't know. Oh, um, two hours before the agenda was published. Well, and, and, and to be fair, no, no idea is a bad idea. There is, you know, whilst mm. people are horrible to the Liberal Democrats about their time in coalition with the marvellous Conservatives, there, there was an element of, I, I think, they introduced some fairly bold social justice policies which we're now claiming as our own, which is fair enough. Well, the ones that you haven't overturned, do you mean? No, 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 some we've overturned because they were rubbish, but... The, the good ones we've Not kept. Like meals for school children. Yes, 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 yes yeah, they'll be fine. So, um, uh, green investment banks. Oh, stop it! Stop it! Green investment banks. subsidies for green power. Go and hug a tree. Stop it. So a climate crisis. No, yeah. of course we have. Yep. Yeah. Open a window. Um, right, John. Yeah, <laughs> something So, so, so you, you, and I guess the piece I'm struggling with this is that by not allowing you to change your seconder. All that's happened is you've got to wait three months. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, uh, to be honest, that is something that I found surprising is why people didn't want to have the debate. Because the, unfortunately, there wasn't really much opportunity for people to say why they were going to vote against us being able to change it. Um, but particularly, I guess, uh, the, the Tories are obviously whipped to vote against it because it was um, likely this was going to come up. I understand the Lib Dems were given a free vote. Um, and actually the majority of ones there, like I said, did vote to have the debate. Um, one or two voted against and one abstained. But obviously if those people hadn't voted against, then we could have had the debate and had it all over and done with, like you say, rather than it being dragged on for months and months. So, and I'm going to ask you what might be considered to be a leading question. Do you think the vote was intended to kill the discussion? I think people are going to wonder, aren't they? Because, like I said, there wasn't any explanation of why people voted certain ways. I, I look at it in the wider context of the local landlord lobby being very active in terms of uh, communicating with individual councillors, saying, look, this is our position. Um, they got sent model text to then send on, and a lot of them added their own um, kind of additions to that. You've also got to look at the number of councillors that are landlords, and I think within that context, kind of members of the public from the outside are going to see a vote being taken which prevented a discussion around the regulation of the private renting sector. So there are definitely kind of question marks hanging over it. And, and I think so. The reason why I ask you the question is because I could understand it. if So if I was sat there with my Conservative hat on and the noise of the local landlords and... 
I, I, I can get the fact that if I thought I could just put this issue to bed as a bad idea, not going to do it, I vote against you. No, we can't, we're not doing it. But the piece that I can't square in my own mind is we weren't going to put you to bed by voting against it. We were only going to delay you for three months when you'd bring it back again with a enthusiastic and fresh-faced George Fielding as your seconder. So we're going to have the debate then anyway. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so yeah. as, as we grip each other and scuffle on the floor enthusiastically, Simon, as the, mm-hmm. as the yellow man in the room, who I'm standing up for the voice of rampant capitalism and the fact that we should be unregulated. Cal is standing up for the voice of the small person. You are saying, why... Why? Why Why didn't the debate take place, Simon? All we know is that the, the Chamber wasn't happy to suspend the rules around the standing order. But to be, to be really honest, from what I've heard from, um, to be honest, from the people that I've listened to in, 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 in the party in, in, that were in the Chamber, was that actually, I think they, they're sympathetic to, to the issue. So I don't. I don't, I, I honestly wouldn't think that actually what the vote that took place was intended to stymie or delay or prevent the the, the, the actual motion being discussed. I think the issue would purely for some people for one reason or another. I, I can't speak to what perhaps people on the blue persuasion might have been motivated to do, but nonetheless, don't forget all of the people that were that were likely beneficiaries or sufferers of any motion. They were all gone. Weren't, weren't in the chamber. Yep. So so all that were left were people that would have been making a decision based on based on how they feel about it being appropriate or not to sus- to suspend that standing order to change actually how the how the processes in the chamber work and um, what was what was interesting for me was to see because i've seen some conversations take place um since since that day because quite understandably i think you were a bit frustrated that you definitely want to get this thing looked at you don't want it to kind of drag on forever you want want to start actually getting this investigated because people need protection from these road landlords um and and it's right that an investigation takes place if i could say again personally speaking i think it's right that some sort of investigation takes place to understand what's the best way to address that issue however large or small that is what's the right way to to address that and what's the effective way to do that um which hopefully the most people will actually be in favorable so what i thought was good to see was i saw that um Gerald Vernon Jackson, to the, lead, the leader of the of the council, did reach out and say, "Let's have some conversations about this to try and work in a work in some sort of cross party way." Which, to be fair, is something that I I think in in lots of issues is actually probably worth doing rather than because what the people outside the chamber get bored of is the party politics of stuff and the and the kind of the point scoring, right? And actually, you've brought up a really valid key issue. The sooner that that sort of investigation as soon the sooner that issue is looked into the the better surely for 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 everybody so mm-hmm. I, I i i kind of get what your point is ian about um if the motivation is to delay or to bring down the motion itself that's not going to happen cow's not going to give up no and that's right? that, that's the... so so and delaying it for three months not being funny in the grand scheme of things that's piss all isn't it really? At the end of the day, churlish, I think, is what it yeah, is. Yeah. So, so I, a, and but so that's why personally, I don't, I don't honestly believe from the conversations that I've had with people, I don't see that that is a reason why people would have would have chosen to do that from, from my part of the spectrum. So what anybody else thinks, I wouldn't want to. No. Tra- wouldn't want to transmit onto their motivations because I'm not a mind reader. 
So if I understand you correctly there, mm -hmm. what you're saying is that that perhaps some of the reticence or nervousness was more to do around with the suspension of due process. The precedent that it sets. The precedence that it sets mm -hmm. in terms of the... Yeah, no, I, I, I guess I can see that. I, I just think that... And the interesting thing is, and, and this is where I... I I, because I, I like to speculate. You don't even get all very. Ooh, I don't like to say. But I think I like to say. If I thought, if I didn't want it, and I looked at that chamber, if I thought I was going to win nine eight, then I would have waved you through and done the bring it on, son. Let's get this put to bed tonight, and we'll get your motion tucked away. You lose nine eight, move on. An interesting point on the um, suspension of stands and orders. Mm. We were told because. We were asking what the kind of precedents are mm. when this has happened before. Um, so it's happened a kind of a couple of times right. when, for example, um, I think there was a meeting last year where it's in the stands and orders that it'll be the group leader that gives a response to the budget. Right. Uh, but one of the group leaders wasn't there, so uh, stands and orders were suspended to allow the deputy group leader or another member of that group to speak. Right. But that's obviously quite a minor suspension. The last time it was suspended in a kind of really significant and kind of constitutionally questionable way, um, and this is going back, I think, maybe 15 or 20 years, mm. was a previous Lib Dem administration suspending stands and orders to remove their own Lord Mayor. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that, well, that sounds like a, that was a tasty situation. Oh. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs. That's, that's, that's one to discuss. So, so bring, yeah. bring pretzels for that one. I think the popcorn's gone off a long time for that. Yeah. So, yeah, so. But it seemed so, to me to be a minor suspension of standing orders because mm. there is that element of, you know, to that point. It, it You know, there was nothing sinister. Do you know what I mean? It was that, you know... To me, if, you, if, you, if, if you're on the board of any business, right, then surely it's a, it's a yep. reasonable thing if you're passing a motion at any, any sort of board that if the original person that you've got down to second something, I don't see how it ends the world if you change the right. seconder. Yeah. On, on, to be honest, on right. the I, okay, it mm. will be different than documentation, but you can cover that off in the minutes, right? Yep. It's, you know, the world isn't going to end from that. So, so from a point of view of, personally, I don't understand why... And I, and I speak to this from a point of near ignorance of the fact of what, what all the standing orders are and actually how, how they all work. But to me, from a logical perspective, I can't believe we, the council, in all of its years of history, has never faced a situation where they've needed to change a seconder at short notice. Well, what would have happened if Tom Coles, I don't know the man, is he a robust fellow? Not too bad, yeah. No. Relatively healthy. But, but if he had gone down with a case of scrofula or mange... Or the king's evil, perhaps, and wasn't able to attend. What happens then? Would your motion have been equally scuppered? Yeah. If poor old Tom would have had a case of the flu. So ordinarily, yeah, according to the constitution, the motion would fall. That's so, rubbish. So, like I say, in any business, if someone's not there, you, you know, you've still got to continue. You've still got to do. You've still got to debate the things of the day. You've still got to make a decision and, and progress and do things. So. It, it kind of does throw into question, to me, it throws it, I think the kind of things are about the rationale behind the, the behind the, um, behind the legal decision and the kind of question about, do, this, do the standing orders reflect actually how any modern organisation would actually operate? Mm -hmm. Because any, any organisation that expects to continue operating has measures in place for 
this person to be off sick, yeah. for this person not to be available, because you can't you can't have things not done just because that one person wasn't in the room. It is. So I think if we draw this all together into a bow, it's uh, we 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 broadly agreed as a group that it, it's something worth look at to mm. see whether there, there is a problem that needs fixing and what will it cost and what will it give. That mm -hmm. Carol's noble endeavours to strive towards the council were noble. The city solicitor, might, that's, that's might, Millsy having a having a refreshing drink. Uh, he's having, one he's, way, he's, he's, uh, <laughs> that's not Cal schoonering a, a tin of something in a celebratory way. Um, so we've got a situation where all was well. It's been a dark day, I think, for democracy in PCC because to vote against having a debate, I'm never sure I'm comfortable with that. But undaunted, I guess you'll be firing out of the blocks in October. Hopefully, with a seconder who's kept in a cryogenic chamber so that they won't be poorly on the day and it'll, it'll all go to pieces again. Mm -hmm. So I, I look forward to hearing it being debated in the chamber because I, th I think it's a, it's, a, it's a motion that's worthy of debate. This is marvellous. It's worthy of investigation. So we will, we, will, we will suffix this podcast with the... Is it going to be George Fielding again? Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, we may not bring it back. I guess it depends what? on... Well, if the, if the administration say we're going to do it anyway, then it would be pointless. So, so yeah, so the outcome you're after is it gets looked into. It gets done, yeah. So, so we're not too worried yeah. about right. passing a motion for the sake of passing a motion, right. so to speak. As it were. Yeah. Marvellous. <laughs> so if, G, if GVJ... So, so if the dream team of GVJ and Sanders, the veritable Anton Deck of the Lib Dem administration say, yep, we're on it. We're doing which it anyway. one's Ant and which one's Deck? It's not my place to say. Um, then obviously you don't have, but should that not have moved by October, yourself and George will be striding back into the chamber to, to give it another go. We will, yeah. I gave Liberal Democrat leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson, a chance to respond and give his views of the events in the council chamber that day. And... Um, and his thoughts on the motion that Cal had brought to the council. So thank you for agreeing to spend some time with us, Gerald. It's really nice to get to give you an opportunity to respond to the conversation that we've had with Cal. Yep, fine. It's good. Good always. It's always good to talk. Um, so Cal's motion uh, came before the before the council. And um, what would you like to see happen with it? Uh, it's a very sensible piece of work to be done. Um, I went to talk to Cal before it came to the council meeting to say that uh, we thought it was a sensible thing to do. Um, and that uh, we'd try to make sure that that piece of work happened. Um, whatever we can do to try to make sure that people in the private rented sector are safe and secure is, is something to be done and looked at as closely as we can. So what measures are there already in place to deal with rogue landlords? There are some things um, uh, that are available to us. So there's legislation to stop revenge evictions. Um, there is some legislation um, if places are not decent for people to live in to be able to get landlords to do places up there is legislation that says that um, people have some security of tenure but if you're on a, a shorthold assured tenancy you get very little um, certainty about whether you can stay um, so if the landlord is is either bullying people or not doing the property up there are some powers um, but it's sensible to look to see if there are additional powers we can get to see if we can make things better. If people live in a house where there is a house of multiple occupation with um, lots of people sharing facilities, then again, we have power, we, we already license those premises. Um, so 
they get an extra level of protection uh, and, and that doesn't happen everywhere in the country but it does in Portsmouth. So there was a, um, a ruling given, given by the solicitors for the council that affected the, the debate in the, in the chamber, what was, yeah. what was that? Well the rules in the council are that councillors are not allowed to be involved in debates and decisions about things where they might either make money or lose money. So if something might potentially mean that you make some money or lose some money, you, you have to be out of the council chamber. You can't be involved in those decisions. So you can't, as a councillor, and if there's a planning application near where you live, you can't be involved in that because it might affect the value of property that you might live in. So the advice from the council solicitors was that um, the terms of the motion was that it would potentially benefit tenants but also potentially disadvantaged landlords. So the legal advice was if people were either tenants or landlords within the city, they couldn't be part of that, that discussion. Uh, and it's, it, it's a rule that's designed to make sure that people can't become councillors uh, and then make money out of it. How did that impact actually the, 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 <coughs> well, the, um, the attempt to bring the motion in, in the chamber? Uh, two things. First of all, it meant that quite a lot of people had to leave. So um, both the the Lord Mayor and Deputy Lord Mayor had to go, but um, the leader of the Labour group had to leave. Myself as leader of the Lib Dems group had to leave. Um, Donna Jones, leader of the Conservatives, wasn't there, but if she had been, she'd have had to leave as well. And so it left uh, enough councillors to be able to have the debate. But one of the things that the Labour Party got wrong was that they got somebody to second this proposal who then had to leave the chamber um, because they rent privately. Um, and therefore weren't allowed to be part of that discussion. Um, uh, and if this had been something where the Labour Party were happy to work cross-party, we'd have we'd have got round that problem um, beforehand, and the debate could have taken place. Uh, unfortunately, they chose not to do so. Um, at which point they'll have to bring it back um, with somebody who can can second it. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for that. Thanks, Ring. Thanks, Joe. So you've been listening to the Pompey Politics podcast. I've been Simon Sandspring, and now I'm now my ears hurting in one ear because Ian was so loud. Sorry about that. <laughs> He's been Simon Sandsbury. I've been Cal Corkery. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. We've been blue, yellow, and red till we die this week. You can find us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. Um, you can contact us by email at pompeypoliticspodcast.gmail.com and you can find us on Spotify, TuneIn, SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. So basically wherever you find your podcast, please do give us a review.